Hi, my name is Victor, and welcome to the Spring Break edition of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. What does following Jesus entail? Maybe you picture it as a really restrictive life where all you do is read the Bible every day and all. But the gospel is really very different from that. Today, our second speaker, Chuck Madden, takes over from Bob and reviews the basics of the gospel with some helpful illustrations that you can't see because this is a podcast. So get some time with a mentor and ask about the bridge and the wheel illustrations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We're going to have a good time tonight, I hope. Uh, Pray. Uh, name is Chuck Madden. I live in, uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas. Uh, a little town, uh, a little town called Pilot Point. About 2,000 people. It's horse country. Everybody there has a horse but, I, but me. And, uh, but uh, very nice. It's a little country area, uh, about 50 miles from Dallas. Uh, we, my wife and I enjoy it. I'm involved uh, ministry-wise at Ditton Bible. Uh, Tommy Nelson is our pastor, probably the best Bible teacher I've ever been under. He's uh, phenomenal. I also minister at a church called Watermark. It's in Dallas. Uh, Watermark has a tremendous ministry and a number of different types of ministries, one of which is called Equipped Disciples. And that's the one of which I'm a part, and we work at helping young professional men and women who attend there to uh, become the disciple that God has clearly outlined that they should be from the scripture and that they want to be. Uh, a lot of young professionals in Dallas. A lot of, uh, uh, we, I was told that there's about, uh, I think there's something like about, uh, I forget the figure exactly, but it was something like 700, uh, no, no. It was about 170,000 people a quarter are moving to Dallas. So we're, uh, it's great, except nobody can find a house. So they're all taken. <laughs> but it, we, 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 the ministry is good. We have a lot of people that are hungry for the things of God. The culture is uh, bringing about a, uh, a, a choice. You're going to have to decide. Are you going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to follow the, is this book going to become the basis of your life? Or is it going to be a secular culture that basically um, eliminates God and truth from culture? What are you going to do? You're not going to be able to be neutral. You're going to have to decide. I told our pastor that uh, I really feel like that I will visit him in prison because he, uh, he speaks truth. And they accuse him of uh, inflammatory language and uh, hate speech and so forth, simply because he advocates following Jesus Christ with all your heart. Uh, That's coming. I don't know what it is in Chico. I don't know what it is at uh, USC. But let me tell you, it's coming, if it's not there already. Uh, Let me, uh, Neil called me uh, and asked if I would uh, consider coming out and being a part of the uh, break at the lake. And I told Neil, I said, man, I would break a date with Miss America to do that. <laughs> I've never had a date with Miss America. <laughs> so, but the, uh, by the way, I have had uh, Miss California in my home. Uh, one, one year that uh, we were involved in uh, the uh, Miss California pageant, and she was in our home. Just a gorgeous young gal, very talented. But uh, so I, I do have some... Uh, <laughs> some... Uh, 
credibility here. Uh, <laughs> but Neil texted and, and I, uh, but then I thought, how do you, uh, what, what can I tell? I'm 81 years old. I know I don't look a day over 95, but I'm, I'm 81 years old. And uh, I thought, what can I share with people who are in their early 20s, 19 to 22 or so, that would not only just be encouraging to them, but would change them? Uh, we don't need to be we don't need to be talking about surface issues here. We need to be talking about the heart. And so what could I share that might impact your heart, that might change you? And so I thought back on uh, what are the things that have changed me in my course? And I, uh, I wrote down, I keep a list. Uh, I, I'm kind of a list guy. I got my, the top books I've ever read. I've got the top movies I've ever seen. Um, the top women I've ever did. No, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, but the, but the, uh, but uh, I, I do have my list. Uh, but the uh, that uh, don't don't take that. That last one really was a joke. I mean, it, 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 but the. Uh, but I thought, what would be helpful? And so I've got, I've got five things that absolutely altered my life from which I never recovered. And I want to cover a couple of them tonight. One of them, of course, was my conversion. Uh, I came out of a home. Uh, my, I had a good mom and dad. They worked hard. They cared for us. They provided for us. Uh, I don't think I ever heard the word love in, in my entire life uh, while I was at home. Um, I don't, my dad never touched me and, and, and unless he was whipping me. Uh, I can't ever remember my mom hugging me. But uh, it was kind of a performance-based. You know, you, uh, uh, you are accepted based on your performance. And I sensed that. I didn't know if it was that way, but that's what I sensed. And so I, I tried to earn my way and uh, perform. But um, uh, that... that uh, created in me a, a sense of insecurity. Now, Bob last, I think it was last night, and, he, and when he spoke about uh, uh, names that you might have that, uh, that don't really fit you anymore, and he talked about that. And I didn't get up because <clears throat> that name doesn't fit me anymore. That's in the history, that's history. But I had one. I was very insecure. I really felt I was just, I never measured up. I really felt that. But that's not, that, that was overcome. But uh, uh, my family never went to church. Uh, I had never read a page of the Bible. Uh, never prayed. I never gave it a thought. Um, <clears throat> but one night, one Sunday night, <clears throat> I was a junior in high school, 17. And my mom came walking through the house. Uh, I was sitting in the dining room table reading a book just in near the garage, and my, my mom came by, and she was all dressed up, and it was cold outside. I mean, it was rainy. It was a February. February was colder than a mother-in-law's kiss. And so, but I, I, really, I mean, really. So, but so I, um, I so she stops, and she says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to church tonight. Would you like to go with me? And I just felt sorry for her. You know, it was cold. She's by herself. And going out into the dark, rainy, cold. And I just, so I went with her. 
and I got to church, the first time I'd been to church at night in my life. But we got there, and uh, I understood what the preacher said. First time in my life that I actually tracked all, the whole time he was talking. Every other time that I had been in church before that, it was the most boring time I'd ever experienced. I just, I could not wait to get out. But that night I, I, I followed him. But also there was a the fellow there by the name of David, another guy, Pat Roberts, David Evans and Pat Roberts. And they were, I played baseball on the high school team and uh, I was one of the pitchers and David was the catcher. So we knew each other quite well on the team and he was there. And so he comes running over to me and he says, hey, Chuck, let's, uh, we're going to have another meeting tomorrow night. I didn't know what this was. It was a, uh, a, 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 a series that they met every night that week. It was kind of a uh, revival or something. But they met. And so David says, they're going to meet tomorrow night. Let me come by and pick you up, but come with you. It'll be a good time. It'll, it'll be great. Why don't you do that? So he and Pat both enticed me to, to come with them. So they came by and picked me up. I wound up going to church every night that week. I went more in one week than I'd had in my whole life. Well, the next week we're practicing baseball and I'm out on the baseball field and I'd thrown batting practice and now I was out in center field just, you know, shagging fly balls. And, and I've always been uh, real analytical. I like to think things through. Uh, I, I don't like to accept anything face value. I want to think it through. And so I'm thinking about all these things that I'd heard. And I asked myself, well, Chuck, you know, are you a Christian? And I remember concluding that... Uh, uh, well, I must be, because I remember counting. Well, I, I knew I wasn't a Buddhist, and I knew I wasn't Hindu, and I wasn't a Muslim, and I kind of ran out at that time. I couldn't think of anything else, so I concluded I must be a Christian. But then I thought, but your language and your thought life—you're you're like a person who's never even heard of God. My dad had a construction company, and. Uh, he believed in work. And so every Saturday and every summer from five o'clock on, we'd get up and we'd, I'd help him in the, the, his road construction company. Well, the men that worked and, and operated the heavy equipment that we had building those highways, they were very skillful. I mean, admirable. I mean, they could do things with that equipment. I just was amazed at. But their lives were just train wrecks. I mean, most of them were divorced. Uh, they drank. They, they had a, a, a temper. They would get just violently mad. They cussed like uh, just crazy. Their, their, their mouth was filled with cursing. And then all they talked about was, you know, just chasing wild women all weekend. So they'd get their paycheck and then they would come back Monday morning and they would talk about the wild women. And I grew up, that was my, that was my atmosphere. And I had the same thing. I was the same way. I had a filthy mouth and uh, my thought life was even worse. So I'm standing out in center field thinking, you're a Christian, you can't be. And so I thought, you know, that's, that, that's right. And I, and I was kind of dumb for what I do. And I thought about David, he, he was the catcher. And, and I thought, you know, his life is what it ought to be. He, he is what he ought to be. I mean, I, I, he doesn't talk like I talk, he doesn't act like I act. So I thought, well, why don't you become like this? But I didn't know how. So I'm standing out there and finally, I think I may have caught a fly ball or something, but I wound up looking up into the sky at the clouds. And I thought to myself, you know, if there is a God up there that I would want him to be pleased with me more than anything. And so I prayed and I didn't close my eyes. 
And I prayed something. I'm going to give you 34 words. And my prayer was really close to that, this, to this. I prayed something real close to this. I said, God, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. I don't even know what one is. But if I have never given you my life, I want to do that right now. And I can't tell you, but something happened. And I knew it happened. Something, nothing changed physically. I mean, nothing. But I knew something had happened. And you know, the next day, I quit cussing. And I cannot tell you what a filthy mouth I had. And I quit. It was just detestable to me. And it was like somebody went down inside and rewired all the circuits. And I remember uh, I went home and, of course, feeding my filthy mind, I had a bunch of books that were... Uh, bad books. And uh, I went home and uh, I waited till my parents went to bed because I didn't want them to catch me. And I went into the kitchen and I got one of these paper, you know, the sacks that you get at the grocery store for your groceries. And I came back to my room and I dug out all these old nasty books that I had and I put them in this paper sack and I folded it all up and I went by, out back where the, we kept the trash cans and I dumped all the trash out and I put them in the very bottom and put all the trash back in on top of them. The reason I did it, I didn't want my mom to go out the next day with some trash and open it up and what's this, you know. But I, but I changed. Something happened to me. And I, I, I just, uh, it was a, uh, uh, I didn't know anything about the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And I was. I didn't know the verse. I didn't even know that it existed. But, but that happened to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Uh, let me show you. I'm going to use the whiteboard. And this is elementary, I understand. But this is the first night, so I get a, I get a freebie. Uh, this is elementary. But what happened to me was that, and I'm going to draw this, but it's not a very good marker. But when, when God first made mankind, they had tremendous fellowship. It talks about them. They're walking together, fellowshipping together in the garden, and everything was wonderful. But then, but then man decided, let me see if I can get another one here. Man decided he wanted to be God. He wanted to run the show. And so he rebelled. He disobeyed. And so what happened, if you had, if you had uh, man, oops, wow. Get this. So if you have man over here and you have God over here, well, all of a sudden their wonderful relationship deteriorated and now you got this and you got this and you've got something in between them that's separating them called sin. I got to get, uh, I don't know what to do about remedying this. Uh, Are these broad? Are these broad? Or are they narrow? I think they're narrow. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just squish them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and you may have seen this illustration before. That's okay. I uh, I like to give it, so bear with me. But what happened is that there was a separation in between God and man, and that and that separation was due to the fact of sin. Thank you, Jenna. And now man is separated from God because of sin. And the Bible says, all sin. 
And I memorize, I memorize these verses, but for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have done this. Every single swinging hip is on this side. All of us. But here's the bad news. The bad news is sin has a penalty. There's a price. And that penalty is for Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But the wages of sin is death. It, there's a penalty. There's a consequence. So you can rebel against God, but there's a consequence. But then there's another point, and that's, this gets to be good news, is that Christ paid the penalty. That's point three. So all have sinned. Sin has a penalty, but Christ paid the penalty. Now, let me, uh, I'm going to take a, a detour for about a few minutes here. I, almost, I want to share something with you that uh, I just reflected on probably two weeks ago. I just realized it. Jesus is being crucified, right? He's paying the penalty. Um, 20, Matthew 27, 45, a little short verse. You know what it says? Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, until the ninth hour, darkness fell upon the land. That's it. Now, what happened? Jesus is on the cross. He'd been on the cross since 9 o'clock that morning. And for three hours, he took the jeers and the, and the sneers and the humiliation and the slaps in the face and the spit and the uh, criticism and the mockery. He took that for three hours. Then at night's noon. And you know what I think, and this is just what I think, but you know what I think? I think God says, okay, that's enough. And it went dark. Now, can you turn the lights out? Don't turn them out for much, but turn them out and see just for just a few. I mean, all of them. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> when it says dark, it meant pitch black. You could not see anything. You could not see your hand in front of you. It was pitch black. It, it, it was, I've been in the jungles of Vietnam where the canopy just completely blocks. It was like this. I've been in, I've been at nights all night when it was just like this. And this is what, that's what happened when God turned out, it, it, a darkness came upon the land. And I think God says, okay, enough. This is my time. You turn it back on. <laughs> yeah. You turn it back on. And I think God says, okay, that's enough. And then God says, it's my time. This is my time. And darkness just pervaded the earth. The, the world went dark. And nothing is recorded for three hours. You don't, you don't, nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. Nobody wrote anything. The, the, it just went dark and quiet. And I think what happened is that this, during this time, God says, I need to be with my son who's hanging on that cross suffering terribly, the jeers and the spit and the slaps. And God says, okay, that's enough. I need to be with my son. Darkness. And I think what happened is that during that time is when God placed the sins of the world on his own son. That's when it, uh, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us 
like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And I think at that point is when the iniquity of mankind fell on Jesus. Now, amazing thing, and I think this happened. God did not do that. He caused it to happen. He caused the sins of the world. John the Baptist, John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. That's what John proclaimed. And it was happening. It was happening. And God just God says, okay, nobody says anything. Nobody's going to do anything. This is my time. It is silence. This is just me and my son. And I think what he did was that he caused the iniquity of the world to be placed on Jesus. But what God did, and this is my speculation, I think God told his son, he said, you know, I, uh, I, I can't be here. I can't be a part of this. When you become sin, uh, I, I, I have to leave. I, I can't be here. I'm, I am holy. I am righteous. And when you become sin, uh, I, I, I have to leave. You understand that. I, I've got to go. Because when, when, G, when God left, it became light. Now it's light again. And Jesus is hanging on that cross by himself. Except he says one more thing. Eli, Eli, lo my sabachthani, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? And he didn't say that to God. He didn't say that to him. He said that for us because he wanted us to know that he had just taken your sins and the sins of the whole world and my sins, and he had just paid the price for those sins. Why have you left me? Because you had to. I became sin. And he hath made him to be sin for us. He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But that's what happened. So what I, the reason I share that is because I want you to realize that when Christ paid for your sins, that was more than just, well, he's on the cross and nail him and he dies. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. It was horrendous. And it cost God. It cost Jesus. But I want you to know that was a serious event. And for three hours, the whole world went dark as God laid the sins of his world on his own son. That, that was significant. I've just been thinking about that and wanted to share that. When I share Christ with other people, I don't bring that out because it just didn't fit. But it, it, here it would. Because I want you, as people who most of you in here probably know Christ, you've, had this, you've done this, you've had this happen. I want you to know what it cost, that it was not just some trivial deal. Okay, then the fourth point is all have sinned, Christ paid the penalty. Therefore, salvation for us is free. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, for by grace, you know the verse. If you don't, you should. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. It's not something you did. It's something he did. It's not something you worked for. It's something he gave you. But uh, salvation was a free gift. But there's one other thing, and that is we must, you got to accept the gift. You must receive the gift, and that is, I could walk up to one of you and offer you something, but if you never took it, you'd never have it. I could offer it all day, 
And that's what he does. He offers us this salvation. Will you receive it? John 1, 12, verse 11. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But it, to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, the trans and that's what happened to me, standing out in that center field position when I prayed that simple little prayer. That happened to me. He gave me the right to become. I was now a child of God. So uh, I, I use another little point here. Uh, you open your life. And uh, the, there's a, a verse in the book of the Revelation. It's not talking about becoming a Christian, but it paints a picture that's that's. Just the same thing. It paints this picture. And in the Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand. This is Jesus talking. This is red letter. Jesus talking. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And I'll have fellowship with him and he with me. But it's up to us. And Jesus says, You know, I'm standing at your door. You know, I'll knock, but I'm not going to open it. you got to open it. And mo many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have done that. Some of you haven't. You've never done that. But uh, that's, that's, that's what happened to me. Um, that was one, that one thing was the first thing that changed my life. I mean, I became a new creature. My language changed. My thought life changed. <clears throat> my habits changed. The crowd that I ran around with changed. Everything changed. I started going to church. I like to go to church. I really like to go to church. You know, my buddies were there, and they were good buddies. They were really good people. And uh, David Evans was there, and Pat Roberts, and, and uh, Gloria West, and Carolyn Stam, and Judy Reb, and Sam Richardson. And they, all my buddies, they were all there. They all wanted to follow Christ. And I just loved being with them. That's great. But you know what didn't happen? Nobody got me in the Bible. I'd show up and go to meetings, and I'd hear sermons, but nobody got me in the Bible. So I, I decided, uh, when college, I graduated, and when college came, I decided to go to a Baptist school, because there I could grow, I, I didn't even know what that term meant, but there I could become a better Christian. And so I went to a Baptist school. Same thing, great people, great people, you know, Billy Laird, and Jimmy Bond, and Betty Carter, and just, I mean, just the great people. The friends to, to this day, but nobody got me in the Bible. I would read this Bible when I went to church and listen to the pastor, and that was about it. But that's, that's to my knowledge, what everybody else did. And then I went to a summer camp, and I got to this summer camp, and I told you I was kind of analytical, so I had figured out the pecking order of those that were really committed Christians and those that were not so committed. I figured out the pecking order. And uh, the committed Christians were the missionaries. Man, those guys paid a price. Those men and women were, they were, oh, man, those are the ones to emulate. And then maybe under that, maybe a senior pastor or something like that. And way down at the bottom was something like a youth director or somebody like that. You know, <laughs> but so I decided, really, I decided that I wanted to be, I was going to be a missionary. I wanted my life to count. I wanted to be all I could be for God. I wanted God to be pleased with me. I wanted to be a genuine Christian. And so I volunteered one evening at one of these meetings to be a missionary. 
And I raised my hand that I wanted to be a missionary. And the next morning we met with a fellow that was in charge. Uh, this was a Baptist meeting. He was in charge of missionaries for the Baptist convention. And so he met with us and he asked the question, there's about 10 of us. And he asked the question, what kind of a missionary do you want to be? And I said, you mean, I asked him, you mean there's different kinds? And uh, he said, oh yeah. I said, I said, I thought you just, you know, you put on a pith helmet and went to Africa. What else is there, you know? And he said, oh no, there's all kinds. He said, there's church planters. He said, there's pastors. There's uh, teachers and there are nurses and doctors. And then he mentioned there's an agricultural missionaries. I said, whoa, what does he do? Well, he helps with the crops and livestock and through that gains an entrance to share the gospel. I said, that's what I want to be. That's me. My dad had a farm. I worked cattle. I, I trained uh, roping horses and I, I'd weed, weed in, the, in, the, in the herd and I'd cut out a calf and I'd rope the calf and cut it, you know, dehorn him or brand him or whatever I needed to do or give him a shot or something. I worked cattle all the time. I worked horses. I, then we got cutting horses and I worked cutting horses and we had black Angus cattle and we had, we had some Charlays and we, uh, and I, that's, I bailed a zillion tons of hay. And so I thought, that's what I want to be. I'm going to be an agricultural missionary. So he says to me, does your school have a good ag department? And I said, my school doesn't even have an ag department. He said, well, you need to transfer. I said, okay, where, do I, where should I go? Where's a good ag school? He said, well, in your part of the country, I'd probably go to Texas A&M. I said, okay, where's Texas A&M? And he said, well, it's in College Station. I said, okay, where's College Station? And he said, well, it's, uh, you can hardly get there from here. Uh, but 6,000 people. And so I transferred. I had never been there. I didn't know anything about it, except it was a good ag school. So I transferred. And I got over there for the shock of my life. I transferred in January. I'd, gone back, I'd already enrolled for the fall. So I transferred in January. And I got there, and it was all male. I didn't know that. <laughs> it was all male. 8,000 men. 8,000 men. It was military. The Corps of Cadets was mandatory. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about, you know, once a week you go. No, no, this is 24-7. You fall out for breakfast, you fall into formation, and you march to the dining hall. We graduated at A&M, graduated more officers for the Army than West Point. I mean, it was a serious military school. And so here comes this, they call me a scuzzy civilian slob. So here comes this scuzzy civilian slob, and I don't, I'm not in the military because I'm a junior. Too late. But, but A&M is this, it's not my warm, little, sweet, nice Baptist school. It's pagan. And I, I it, uh, it really revealed, uh, basically, uh, uh, how, how shallow my Christian life was. Because I tried to witness, I couldn't witness. I tried to pray for people. I didn't know how to pray. I tried, I didn't know anything. I was not equipped. So, second thing, the second greatest thing that ever happened to me was I, that semester, the, the Navigators as an organization sent a, a representative, a student who had, to, to complete his education, they sent a guy who had been trained by the Navigators to A&M as a student. And I met him the first week he was on campus. Uh, he got me in the Bible. I started doing Bible study. I started uh, having a quiet time. I started uh, memorizing scripture. 
In fact, he told me, if you want to be a part of our club, our little group, you're going to have to memorize at least three a week. That's okay. And you've got to have a quiet time every morning. And you've got to journal. And you've got to learn how to give your testimony in three minutes or less. I'm talking about what your life was like before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ, and what your life is now is like now that you have come to Christ. And you can give that very intelligently, and it flows, and you can do it in three minutes. I want you to write that out word for word. I want you to learn how to present the gospel. All, all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. The gift of, I mean, all have sinned. Sin has a penalty, but the penalty is paid by Christ. So salvation is a free gift if we open our life and give it to Him. I want you to learn all the verses, and I'll take you and I'll train you as how to witness. And that happened. And week after week after week, I just grew and I grew. I didn't know I was growing. I was just in the Bible. But you know what was happening? So I started memorizing Scripture, and I'd get up every morning at 6 o'clock, I'd go to bed by midnight. I'd get up at six, and I'd have. And I'd, we had a sink and a, and a mirror in our room there, each in each room. And I would I would go to bed the night when I went to bed. I take out my card. My uh, here we go. I take out my little verse cards, and I would say I would write down the verse that I wanted to memorize and the date. That, and I I would I put the date because I review that verse every single day for at least forty two days. I reviewed that for six weeks. And then I would flip it over and I'd write the verse on it. The next morning, I'd get up and I'd put that bad boy on the mirror and I'd start memorizing it. And I'd work on it all the time. I'm, you know, brushing my teeth and washing my face and shaving and all that stuff. And then I would go to my desk and I'd have my quiet time. And then I'd go to the dining hall, what we call the chow hall. I'd go down to the chow hall and I'd, I'd, I'd work on my verse. And by the time I got back, I had that bad boy down. I had it. And so I'd put it in my pack and I'd work on it. You know, I'd, I'd put that thing in my pack. And then as I went to class, I'd take my little pack with me and I'd review my verses, the ones that I'd memorized previously. I began to learn what this Bible was all about. And, and I got God's mind into my mind. But I, but I realized if I could memorize one every other day, I mean, I could mem if I could memorize three a week, I could memorize one every day. And so in my quiet time, I would see a great verse and I would underline it. And then I had a piece of paper on my desk called my future memory list. And I would put that verse on my future memory list. And then when I got ready to write out my verse that night, I would pick one of those verses and write it out and memorize it. And I had my future memory list. And I, so I started memorizing one a day. So when I graduated, I'd memorized over 600 verses. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you, and you ought to do that. You have the capacity. Your mind is... You guys are going to elite schools. They are very good schools. In order to get in, you're somewhat the cream of the crop. And you're not, you're not loading your mind with God's Word. It ought to be a piece of cake. You ought to be doing that. If you take this skinny little hick from Louisiana, and he can do it, surely you can do it. You've got a mind. You've already proven that you've got a great mind. Why aren't you filling it with God's Word? You don't, you, it's, I, I, you, you need to have the goal of, I'm going to do that. I want to get this book in my head. I want to live by this book. And in order to do that, I need to equip the Holy Spirit to be able to teach me and train me and lead me and guide me and work, work with me and use me. And I need to equip Him by putting this mind of God into my mind. And I'm going to do that. And then you come up with a system. You got your future memory list and you got your cards or whatever, your, maybe an app on your phone. But you got a system whereby you memorize and then you review them and you review them. 
And the gang, I'm going to tell you, the greatest thing I have ever done in my life is memorize God's Word. That has paid greater dividends than any single thing I have ever done. And I've, I could, I've got a box. I keep my verses in a box, and I, I go through them, and there's about 1,700 in there that, I, that I've memorized that I keep trying to review and, and keep them sharp. But let me tell you, that uh, there's nothing pays greater dividends than the mind of God in your mind. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of me. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and shall prosper in the things to which I send it. It's God, God says, listen, when I send that forth my word, it does what I want it to do. Uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's what God says. He's, God says, I don't think like you. I don't, I don't live like you. I don't do like you. I'm, I, in fact, my ways are just, it's like the difference between earth and heaven. My ways, my thinking, then your ways and your thinking. But one guy wisely said, in order for my ways to become like his ways, his thoughts need to become my thoughts. And if I can get his thoughts into my mind so that I'm thinking his thoughts, then there's a good chance that his ways will become my ways. And that's exactly what I want. I want my ways to be like his ways. Scripture memory will do that. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may be careful to observe, to obey all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have great success. I just can't uh, overemphasize the value of Scripture memory. That uh, <clears throat> I was going to spend a few minutes... I have a quiet time every morning. Uh, I get up at 6, and I spend time, I, you know, I'm I, I, uh, shaving and brushing my teeth and washing my face and trying to do something with my hair. Um, that wakes me up. So now I'm, I'm pretty much at work, alert. And I'll go into my little study, a little study at my home, and I'll go in there and I get my Bible, and I pray. Now, I want to tell you about a quiet time. You know what? The first thing you do in a quiet time is you pray. And you know what I pray? Psalms 119, uh, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Isn't that a good prayer? That's Psalms 119, 18. And I pray that to God. And gang, I don't pray to God. I beg God. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Psalms 143.8, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in thee, in thee do I hope. Cause me to know the way where I, and I should walk, for, but I lift up my soul to thee. God, cause me to know the way. Cause me to hear your voice. And I pray those prayers. And I, uh, but I don't pray those prayers. I beg God. And I say, God, I, uh, I pray this morning that you would cause the scales to fall from my eyes that I can see truth. God, I pray that you would feel sorry for me, that you would realize how desperately I need you, that you would, that you would, that you would determine to open your truth, open my eyes so that I can see the eternal truths of God and understand you and know you and walk with you. God, would, I, I beg of you,
open my eyes, help this time to be meaningful to me. And that's how I pray. I mean, I pray, and, and, but you know what? You know why I pray that? Because I want that time to count. I want my quiet time to be rich and meaningful and exciting. And I want to find God. This is not just 30, 45 minutes I'm checking my list here or checking off the little do list. No, this is important. So I pray and then I read. And then you know what I do? I think. And then I repeat the process. I pray and then I read. And then I will think about that. And then I will pray about that. And I will think about that. And I'll pray some more. And then I may read a few more verses. And I may think about that. And I read about that. And I wrestle with it. And I ask myself, how does that work? What does that look like? If I did that, what, how could I do that? What would that look like in my life? And I wrestle with this stuff. I wrestle with God's Word. And God opens His Word. And almost every morning, I have a rich quiet time. And I, what I do, I write, I have a journal, but if, if it's, if it's pretty short, uh, I just write it in my Bible and uh, I've got, uh, I just, I got stuff written all over this thing and, uh, and I underline and I write in the margin and, uh, I, let me, you know, here's my Bible. I got stuff written all up here. These are the verses that I have memorized, the ones that are, that are over. But I got stuff all down here. These are thoughts that God has given me that are rich. That's good stuff. And occasionally I'll share it with my wife. And she said, that is, that, that's good. You ought, you ought to put that in writing. That's good stuff. And God speaks to me. My quiet times are meaningful. My quiet times are rich. And I enjoy my time with God. But I beg Him that He would open my eyes because the scriptures tell me that I do not have the ability to understand eternal truth unless he opens my eyes. Uh, he asked the, the disciples, who, what do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, nobody revealed that to you but my father. My father revealed that to you. Peter would have never figured that out on his own. God revealed that to him. And so the, I, I know that. And so I have, a, so my quiet times are... A, uh, I, I, I just beg God. Um, well, let me, um, this is all elementary, okay? This is uh, Jesus 101. Uh, let me see if I can erase this board because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw you another elementary By the way, uh, these things I've uh, I've learned these things, and they've been so helpful to me all my life. And I share these with others. I teach the, I teach others, but. Uh, this is not being shared to entertain you. It's not being shared to uh, uh, so that so that you're smarter. You know the Bible more. It's like one guy said. You know the Bible was sent to transform our lives, not to make us smarter sinners. And I'm not sharing this with you so that you'll be a smart sinner. 
I'm sharing this with you so that you might incorporate it, so that you might obey, so that you might claim this. And so this is my life. This is the way I live. And it, does, and it changed your life so that you are transformed. So that's, that's why I'm sharing these, these things. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I was discipled at A&M by some other fellows that were walking with God. And I am eternally grateful for the time they invested in my life. I didn't know what a disciple was. I didn't know I was growing. I didn't even know what that stuff was. I just knew that I was in the Bible and learning the Bible and following the Bible. But what happened? I'm going to show this to you. This is elementary. But uh, this is what becoming a disciple, this is what I did. I was becoming a disciple, and I asked myself, go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, right? That's what we've been told to do. You are to be a disciple, and you are to make a disciple. But let me give you one other little tricky here. If you are to be a disciple, the commission is to go therefore and make disciples. Is that not right? Okay, if you go and make disciples, using the, uh, the biblical language here, if, you are to be a, if you're going to make disciples, that means that you're, you're supposed to be a, not a disciple, but a disciple maker, right? That's who you're supposed to be. But the verse, the commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which means that you've got to teach this disciple all the things that Jesus taught you, which includes that verse. So you have to teach these disciples that you're just training, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that they are to go and make disciples. So what you have to be is you're not a disciple. You're not a disciple maker. You are a maker of disciple makers. If you're going to fulfill the Great Commission, that's what it says. Go therefore and make disciples. Okay, to make a disciple who also obeys that means you've got to make disciples who are making disciples. You are a maker of disciple makers. Minimum. That's the minimum standard. That's not the glory hole. That's minimum. So how do you, how do we, what does that look like? Who is that guy? What does he do? Tell me about him. That's what I'm going to do right here. I'm going to tell you who that guy is. First of all, Jesus Christ is the very heart, the very center of his life. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Jesus Christ is the very center of my life. He is my Lord. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He is my Lord. I obey him. And I don't, I don't, that name is not just a, uh, a name. That is who he is. He is my Lord. Jesus Christ is the center of my life. Now, so then who am I? I am an obedient believer. That's who I am. I am obedient. He who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me. Let me tell you, we always sing in these courses and these songs, and they're, and they're great. But they're always talking about loving Jesus, loving Jesus. Let me tell you what loving Jesus means. It means you walk, you walk in obedience to him. That's what that means. It's not a feeling. 
It's not being sweet. It's not singing, hush, hush, but Jesus is wonderful. It's walking in obedience to that book. That's what, that's what loving Jesus is. It's not feeling, and it's not, you know, meeting with the guys and hanging out. It's walking in obedience to that book. That's what, that's what, that's what loving Jesus is. But you're an obedient believer. Well, what are the spokes here? Well, this one is the Word. You are a, the Word of God. Uh, Psalms 119, 105, Thy Word is a light to my feet. My path, a, a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's word gives me direction in life. It helps me to know what I should do and how I should walk. Psalms 119, 105. Um, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. It's come straight from God. All scripture is, and is profitable. You know, we could stop the verse right there. All Scripture is given by God, and it's profitable. What else do you need? But it's profitable for doctrine. That's what you believe. For correction, I mean, for rebuke, that's to, 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 to straighten you out. You made a mistake. Let me tell you, the Bible says that's not good, fellow. That's not right. You, that's a mistake. It's good for that. For correction, let me tell you how to get back on the right track. I can correct you. I can correct your behavior, your thinking. I can get you back on the right track. For instructions in righteousness, I can tell you how you should be living. And the Word of God is all of that. It all all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then the Bible says that the Word of God is adequate for you, and it will equip you to do good, every good work. Do you want to do that? Do you want to be that? Do you want to be someone who does good? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Do you want to do that? Do you want to be one who goes around and loves and does good deeds? The Word of God will equip you to do that. Well, the other one is prayer. And you, you notice these are both uh, pointing... Upward, these are your, uh, your, ver your vertical strokes, your vertical uh, spokes. But prayer is, uh, I, uh, I probably pray more now than I ever have. Uh, I, may, I think I may get a chance to read you a poem that I wrote about my wife. My wife, um, when our, we have nine grandchildren. Three children, nine grandchildren. The oldest is 26. She just graduated from A&M Law School in Fort Worth. Uh, she works for a federal judge in Corpus Christi. The youngest are two twin boys, 13. We got nine of them scattered in between there. When they were born, the day they were born, she began to pray for them. She prayed for their good, that they would come to love God, that they would follow him with all of their heart, that they would be... They, that they would, help, they would be laborers in the harvest field. And she started praying from the day they were born. And she has prayed for every grandchild every day for the tw last 26 years. She prays for every one of them every day. My grandkids, you know, they're not John the Baptist, but they're doing good. You know why they're doing good? I think because my wife brings them before the throne every day. 
God, let me tell you about my grandkids. Would you do this for, for Hannah? Would you do this for Luke? God, I pray for Jack and for Samuel. Oh, dear God, I pray for Jackson and for Justice and for Grady and for Cooper and for Cash. And she prays for him every day, by name, every day. I'm telling you that. Uh, ask and you shall receive. How, how much more clear can it be than that? And if you, abide, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Pray. If you, are, if you are a disciple, you pray about everything. In fact, that's what 1 Thess 5, 17 says. Pray, uh, 5, 15, 17, pray without ceasing. You pray about everything. So you're one as Christ is the center of your life. The Word of God is what gives you direction and it gives you wisdom. Your prayers, or you bring everything in prayer to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Everything. Don't be anxious. Dump it on God. That's, that's, but a disciple, that's, that's who he is and who he produces. Now there's two horizontal strokes, and that is fellowship. That's what we're doing t tonight. And, and the Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Uh, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Isn't that a good job description? I'm gonna, I want to be someone who stimulates you to love people and do good stuff. Isn't that a good job description? That's, that's, that's what we should be doing. Both receiving and giving. We're helping other people and other people help us. And then this one over here is to witness to those who are not... Who know, who don't know the Lord yet. You witness. All scriptures given by... No, no, no. Uh, uh, let's see. Romans. Uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. By the way, do you know when Jesus died on that cross and took the sins of the world, you know what that did? That enabled God to save you. He could not save you with the sins that you had in your life. He couldn't do it. He couldn't take you to heaven, which is holy, with your polluted life. He couldn't do it. So he had, he had a problem. How can I save this guy who's sinful? Ah, I'll pay for his sins myself. But that's what he did. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. God is now has the power to save you. And I'm not ashamed of that. I want you to know about it. I want to tell you. Now, that's, uh, that's the, that is a disciple, and that's who we make. It's that simple. We are that. Now, let me ask you. There's six. I just covered six things. One, two, three, four, five, six. By the way, this is kind of a wheel. Those are the spokes. But as, this, as a wheel on a car, say, is moving, it's going down the highway. You can't see the spokes. You can see the wheel. You can see the hub. But these are the, you can't see these. So I can't see your prayer life. I can't see your time in the Word. But what I can see, I can see your life. I can see whether or not you're obedient. I can see whether or not as you're going down a road, I can see the effect of that. And so I don't, when, I, when I work with men... These are the things that we work on, that this would become such a permanent part of your life that it's just automatic. But this becomes who you are. 
a disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's who you're to make. That's who you're to develop. So, well, I graduated. Uh, I learned that. I, I learned this at, when I was a student. You know, a 21, 22-year-old bonehead down there at A&M. But guys took me aside and taught me that and helped me to memorize those verses and helped me to understand this and helped me to implement this. And I became one who followed Christ. And I'm telling you, it changed who I was. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, one fellow said, it's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to take you from where you were to where you are not. You are not there yet. But he takes you from where you were to where you are not. That's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Becoming the follower of Christ, the one who emulates, the one who, who's, whose word is your life. Let me just finish up. I, uh, this, this is elementary, okay? But I didn't want to spend the weekend without get, getting the base, the, the foundation. I, uh, I graduated from A&M. Uh, I went in the Marine Corps. Uh, the war in Vietnam was uh, kicking up about that time. It was, I was classified as 1A. I knew I would be drafted. Uh, so I joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps because in my assessment of all the services, the Marines, my assessment, Marines seemed to be the most demanding. They required more and were tougher and harder and more disciplined and more determined than anybody else. I want to be one. I want to be that. And so I joined the Corps. And I went to Officer Candidate School. And to my knowledge, I was the only Christian in my squad, but there's 51 of us going through training in this just this little section. And there's 51 of us. We started with 51. We graduated about 33. But I was, I, I was in this, and I was the only Christian in there that I could, the guy I could tell. But you know, I, uh, uh, my lifestyle, my, my, my clean language, and my purpose in life, and my dedication, and my determination, and my wholeheartedness, you know, the, everybody, by the eighth week or seventh or eighth week, everybody knew I was a Christian. They knew, it just, it became obvious. But the, uh, the thing about, and I, uh, but I, uh, I graduated, I graduated number one in the class. And then I was assigned, uh, we were assigned to the Fleet Marine Force, uh, my first assignment, duty statement, and it was at Camp Pendleton, California. And I was shipped out to the fleet, uh, fleet and I was assigned because I had done so well, I was assigned in the, the, the most elite, the toughest, most demanding outfit in the Corps. And that was recon. Our missions were extremely dangerous. I mean, the things that we had to do day, at, day and night, whatever, was unbelievably difficult. But it had to be done. And they, so they took the best that they had and put them in that outfit and trained them unbelievably. So I go to Vietnam. I had been married. I got married in July. And I'll tell you about my wife later on. Got married in July. And I shipped out for Vietnam in February. So I'd had, uh, what, seven months with my wife and it's adios and I was gone for 13 months or, or my, my, but I was in Vietnam and uh, I was in recon and all of our missions were behind the enemy lines we would hella lift out usually just before dark because we wanted to land and get hidden before they, they had time to, to react 
So we would hella lift out about oh, 5, 5, 30, 1,700 hours, and we would be inserted, you know, 35, 40 miles deep into the enemy territory. And then we would go, we would find cover. We'd try to go for at least a mile or something, get away from there and, and get settled in. And then we would, the next day we would start our mission. And uh, it was dangerous. Uh, I, I counted up one time uh, the number of men that, that I had shot up. Uh, I think it was something like 70, almost 75%. 73% of my men were, were shot up at one time or another. I took a grenade fragment in the stomach in one of our battles. It was bad. Uh, I've stepped over people blown half in two, just guts hanging everywhere. I've caught guys in the barbed wire fence just riddled with machine guns, and uh, it, was, it was bad. It was some bad stuff, ugly stuff. But, you know, we would... Uh, we would set in at night in the thickest jungle we could find because in the jungle, your ears are your best weapon. You can't see anything. It's like we took those lights out. It's, it's that dark. You can't see anything, but you can hear. And so you get into some thick brush so that if they are searching for you, and they often were, you know, I've had Viet Cong with an AK-47 trying to kill me as close as that gal is right there. He wasn't four feet away. And I'm sitting there with my finger on the safety, around chambered, magazine insert, I'm ready to blow him in half. But if I did that, then they, they all knew where we were, and they'd kill us all. But the, we've, I've had Viet Cong just that close to me. I've had Viet Cong come out of, Vietnamese come out of hooches, their little hooch. I'd be, I'd be walking, I'd go down to their village at night. I was to check this bad boy out, so I'd go down into this village. I didn't know anything about this village. And I, is there any Viet Cong down there? What are they doing? And so we'd go down there, and there were three or four of us. And uh, I was there one night, and I was behind a banana leaf, bana banana tree, and this woman stepped out the house. And I thought, oh, fat. And I prayed, God, I don't want to, I don't want to kill that woman. But, but I was afraid that she would see, you know, she couldn't see me, but she might uh, smell me or something. And I was, and about the time a little dog jumped out, I thought, oh, no, he's going to smell me for sure. And I just, I'm sitting there with my finger on the trigger. And, I'm, uh, and she's right there. And I'm behind this, it's dark, dark, dark. And I'm behind this banana tree just sitting here. And she comes out and she takes a little metal pan. And she's scraping out some stuff out of this metal pan. And there was a little pool of muddy water out in her backyard. And she was scraping it out. And this dog, I think, smelled that food. But anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm going to have to blow that dog away and maybe her too. And I'm just, I don't want to do that. And uh, anyway, she finally, she goes back in, little dog jumps back in. And it's so dark, I reach back and I grab the hand of the Marine behind me and I squeeze his hand and we silently move forward. We move through the rest of the, you never saw us, you never heard us. They never knew we were there. And so many times our missions, the enemy never had any idea we were there. I've sit in positions and I watched, I watched Viet Cong less than 100 yards from me. They never knew I was there. I could have blown them away in a heartbeat. They never even knew I was there, but that was that was our missions, and I. Uh, but you know the guys, my, the, the, I was. They called me the old man. I was 25, <laughs> and I'd graduated from A&M, gone through the training, and our here I was leading men in combat. I was 25 years old, and they most of my men were 19, 18, 19. Uh, good men, really good men. When I took over the platoon. I set up a table in the squad bay, and I met with every single one of them, man to man. 
Tell me about your life. Tell me about your home. Tell me about your mom and dad. You got, you got sisters, brothers. Why did you join the Corps? What do you want to do with your life? And I met with every single man in my outfit. I wanted to know about the, I wanted to know these men. But you know, at night, in the dark there, they would kind of crawl over just before it got dark. They would crawl over to me where I was, and they would ask me questions about war and killing and uh, their family back home. And if they had a girlfriend and government and politics and God. And you know, the thing about it, I had memorized all those verses and I could tell them what the Bible said. And I would sit there and tell them, I said, well, you know, you know, Corporal Fox, uh, what the Bible says. And I could share that with them. I was equipped. I, I had the word of God with me. I had it in my mind. And that's what they needed. They didn't need to know some philosophy that I might have or some thinking of my own. They needed to know the truth. And I had that truth. I had that truth. I was equipped. I could share it with them. Now, there's several of my men to Christ. Charlie Contreras, you know, came to Christ. I, I influenced a bunch. You know, one thing that happened, it was a shock to me. They knew that I was a Christian. I mean, I, I, I didn't carry my Bible with me to the field because we'd have, in our packs, we'd have to carry everything we needed for five days. I mean, I had 250 rounds of ammo and C4, C4 explosives and four grenades and four canteens of water. And I, I didn't have, I just, we were loaded. But I, so I didn't carry my Bible in the field. But I had it in my heart and I had it in my head. But you know, the, uh, the whole outfit, my whole outfit, little gang I'm in, they, I, I, they sensed that they were, they're going to be okay. They sensed that they were going to make it, it, it was going to be okay. You know why they did that? Because, you know, the, the old man, he, he's kind of tight with the guy upstairs. And they, they knew that. And they knew, they knew that I prayed. And they knew that I knew that word. And they knew that I lived by this word. And so they, the old man, he's, uh, he, he's kind of tight with the, you know, with the guy upstairs. So we're going to be okay. We're gonna, and we were. You know, I never lost a man in Vietnam. I had scads of them wounded. But nobody ever died. And to my knowledge, I, one of these days, I want to get back to Washington, you know, where there's that big, long, black wall. And I hope I don't find their names. I hope, they're, I hope they made it okay. But uh, I think they did. But uh, let me ask you a question. We talked about this. We talked about how to have a quiet time. Who are you becoming? Are you developing yourself? Are you becoming a man or woman of God? Are you becoming someone who knows this book? Are you becoming someone who has a prayer life that, I mean, you intercede and you are effective in your prayer life with God? Who, who are you becoming? It's, it's the prime time of your life to be developing into the man or the woman you're going to be for, for the rest of your life and to really count, to really be somebody, to really make a difference in the world. Are you preparing? Are you doing something? Are you memorizing God's Word? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you developing your prayer? Are you getting time with those who are helping to develop you through fellowship? Are you learning how to share your faith and share your story? Are you, are you developing? Are you just, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I just, uh, it's a critical time. And I, I just, I want, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to, I want to talk about living the life that God has called and equipped you to be. 
We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning because this is the time. You get out in the workforce and circumstances just tend to drive you. And you, you know, you're not living your life. You, you know, you're, you're not living the life that God planned for you. You're just reacting to circumstances. And uh, that's, I, I'm telling you, now is the time to be becoming. What are you becoming? So, I wrote down here, uh, you know, if my car is in trouble, I go to a mechanic. If I got a short in my light in my house, I go get me an electrician. What do people come to you for? What do people come to you for? If they got this kind of problem, what kind of problem? What, can they, what kind of a resource are you? That when they got this problem, they know that they can come to you, that you can help them. They know that. So are you preparing yourself? I wrote down, you know, what do you have to offer? Are you developing yourself? Now, uh, Bob shared uh, about the uh, other night about uh, bad images that we have. And I'm sitting back there in the back of the room, and I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I got a bad habit of uh, analyzing stuff. I told you that earlier. And so when I go, my wife and I go to a movie, my wife just hates to go to a movie with me. <laughs> and we'll go to a movie, and I will sit there, and I will extricate myself from the movie and analyze what they're doing. And then we'll walk out of the movie, and I'll say to my, my wife, I said, sweetheart, do you realize what they were trying to get us to believe? I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. It was a good movie. I don't want to hear your analysis. I, so, you know, she hates to go to the movie. But I do that. I just extricate myself from the scene. And I, what are they trying to get me to believe? What are they trying to do to me? What are they wishing I What are they saying to me? Because they are. And I, want, I sit there and analyze it. So last night I'm sitting back there in the back of the room and Bob is up here and these people are standing up and saying, you know, good night, I was, I was uh, stupid and I was a failure and I was inadequate. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. What is happening? And I thought, no, wait a minute. These people have been accepted into some of the uh, pre, uh, premier universities, prestigious schools. You had to be something just to get in. And you're sitting here talking about how bad things are, how bad your life is. You've got to be kidding me. So I'm sitting back here. I pulled, I'm, I'm, I just backed out of the meeting. And I'm thinking to myself, what is happening? Where did they get this stuff? How can, how can, they, be help, how can they be helped? And so I decided, you know what we're going to talk about the third session? We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about who God is. And who is God to you? Because I want you to realize the God that you follow, who he is and how he cares for you and how he, he is everything to you. He will meet every need. I want you to know the God of this book. One of the things that I did that was life-changing is I studied the names of God. I wanted to know God. It changed my life. I could not believe this phenomenal God who has made me his son. We're going to talk about that. So I'm sorry, it, uh, it's basic, but I think the, the, the question would be, prime time, 
you got more time you'll ever have in your life. When I went into business, I worked at least 75 hours a week. I had three kids. I had a wife and three kids. And I, they took a tremendous amount of time. And I, my work took a tremendous amount of time. And I tried to squeeze in a jog every now and then. You know what I'm saying? There's a little bit of exercise so I wouldn't get fat, you know. I asked my wife the other day, I said, sweetheart, will you still love me when I get old and fat and ugly? And she said, well, of course I do. So uh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, but you're not that way. You got all kind of time. This is your best time. Develop yourself, become somebody. You know, I, I, we had a slogan in our ministry. And it was, you know, if you're going to do something for God, do something big. That was our slogan. You're going to do something for God, do something big. And we had another little saying, go for max. I mean, go for max. You're going to do something, go for max. That's how we lived. That was who we were. You can do that. You can memorize the word of God. You can store up. You can fill your mind with that treasure. You can get to know God in your quiet time and you can journal. And then you can turn, you can turn and help people like crazy because you've got something to offer. And they will come to you when they got their issues. And you've got something to offer. You can help them. That's, that, that can happen. I know it can happen. I've, I've raised up those people. I've seen those people. I've seen those people's lives change. I've seen them just come alive after they begin to get in this book and how they grow and develop and, and how equipped they become. Phenomenal. Your shot, your time, your turn. Now, I just, you know how many people were in the upper room? Jesus spent three and a half years on this earth and the sole results of his ministry in the upper room, there was 120 people. Luke says there was 120. Jesus had ascended. They all go back to Jerusalem. Who? There's about 120, and they pray. How many have we got here? And Jesus just told them, I said, gang, here's the deal. I want you to start where you were, are, but take the world. Don't rest. You take the world. You start here, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria, but you take the world. 120 people. And they did. You know, by the time that Constantine became emperor in about 313 A.D., that the Roman Empire was almost 50% evangelical believing Christians. Not bad. Not bad. Started with 120 confused, dazed men and women in an upper room praying. That's you. You can do that. You want to do that? Equip yourself. Become somebody that knows God and can help people know God. Okay? I'm through. Uh, I bet you're glad. We'll meet uh, Thursday morning, right? Anybody got a question? Good. I, I, I didn't want to answer them anyway. Thanks for listening to the Spring Break 2022 season of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Catch up on and review the rest of the sessions right here on all of your favorite podcast platforms and leave us a review if you'd please. 
Get involved and find out more about us, weekly small groups, and upcoming events like this spring break retreat on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.